All right, it's been some time since we've had one Daniel LaRue on the show, but a bunch of news that has piled up uh, that we have to get to. Going to bring James Ham on in a moment to talk Sacramento Kings. Uh, but first, where do you want to start here with all this news? I mean, it's been like almost a month since we've done it. So we got quite a bit of stuff that's piled up here. I think it's good to start with some of the league-wide stuff, which I think is, is pretty interesting. We, I mean, there's the tampering element of it, the G League free throw rule, which I think is really interesting. Uh, which of those do you think is a better place to start? I guess the tampering stuff, and I'm not really that excited to discuss this frankly i've always felt like there i felt like they haven't done a ton to add to the or uh to sway the type of tampering that i am bothered by which is while a player's season is going on there's tampering right i think like the anthony davis lebron james thing where they're trying to get him traded last year to the lakers that was unseemly and there has they have added a rule at least that if a player I mean, pretty much responding to that exact situation. If a player on one team is trying to get a player traded or induce a player to ask for a trade, that that would be considered tampering and could go back to the team. They also now are going to randomly audit five teams per year, but they won't be taking people's devices. They just have to turn over their communications, which so that that doesn't really stop anything. I think you can just have a phone call and there's not going to be a transcript of that phone call. And so you're, you're fine there unless you're just a complete moron about how you do things. And that was the type of tampering that like supposedly led to all this concern. The stuff of like, oh, Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving have agreed five days before free agency that like, I don't know about you. I, like, I don't really care about that. Like, as long as the guy's season is over, like, go ahead have whatever conversations you want to. Agreed. And there's another kind that I find a little bit frustrating, but I don't know if there's a way around it, which is basically encouraging a guy to take a buyout because that does materially affect it as well. And again, but but the biggest reason for me that I'm, I, I'm frustrated by the way the NBA went with this is there's a level of intellectual honesty that I think is, is a mandatory part of, quote unquote, fixing the system, which is if you cannot create an enforceable regime that is more punitive then just go away from that and understand understand that you can't put rules in place to really curb everything maybe you keep some things in as catch-alls for the worst behavior you know that sort of thing or in in certain cases like oh if they're being really stupid you know those sorts of circumstances but a lot of the other stuff given the nature of communication between players and agents general managers and agents and, and players and players there's a lot of it that you can't cut out of the game and so punishing certain elements of it and then just basically leaving the general structure in place, it just it it bothers me not because it's like terrible or it leads to worse outcomes or anything, but just because it's 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 them lying to themselves. And I think that's that's not helpful because that means that they're not aware of like really how it's supposed to be solved. And maybe it's just placating the smaller market owners that, you know, even yeah, though they should That's exactly what it is. I yeah. think. And, and fans as well. Sure. That yeah. So I guess it is maybe more of a PR thing than anything else. But it's also yeah, but, but I'm I'm annoyed by PR things that are designed <laughs> to convince me of something that you know isn't uh, true. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's go to something that is more interesting for the two of us, which is Zach Lowe and ESPN were the original people to report this that the G League, the laboratory of the NBA in many respects, is going to try using a different rule for free throws, which is effectively that you take a single free throw and it counts for as many points as the total free throws would have been in the current system. Yeah, so you, you get fouled shooting a three, you take one free throw that counts for three points, fouled shooting a two, one free throw counts for two points, and an and one, just your free throw counts for one. And also, though, 
in the last two minutes of the game you shoot two free throws just because uh, to add that variance back in i might have moved that up a little bit more i think sometimes actually teams should be starting to foul earlier than they do when they're down but in practice we'll rarely see a team foul much earlier than uh once you get under two minutes remaining so that's uh they might pressure up but they're they're not necessarily going to foul so for right now that aspect I, i definitely that addresses one of my biggest complaints about this rule is that you don't have that the variance at the end of games it gets uh changed compared to the way it's always been at the end of games but i think the reason that i have concern about this rule if it were implemented in the nba i don't think it matters as much in the g league is just that anyone who's ever played basketball knows you get exhausted out there and you need that 45 seconds for two free throws to be a chance to recover if you're going to be out there and you're going to play a lot of minutes especially during a playoff game and i think this actually is a rule that could affect guys i mean when you see at the end at the beginning of games a lot of times where they don't call out fouls and you have a five minute period before that first time out like guys get real tired if you don't have a substitute. i mean if you play as hard as you can for even three or four possessions in a row you're going to be exhausted like you need 30 seconds to recover and if you don't have that uh, when a foul takes place i think you could see guys getting a lot more tired how would that really affect things on the floor i don't know would guys not be able to play as many minutes i I don't know the answer to that either i mean i think the more tired guys are throughout the course of a game your greater chance you have of being injured again maybe this is just too much worrying for me i mean i don't mind the game going faster i i free throws are okay for me because i can just like check twitter and stuff the average fan does doesn't feel that way there'll still be plenty of commercials though for uh stopping points uh and I do understand the idea of wanting to speed up the game. I think it's a worthwhile experiment. I just hope that they are going to really try to study as best they can the impact of, of having less rest. And, I, and I'm not sure that you can do that in the G League where you don't have you know the level of like superstars who need to play the whole game uh, in the playoffs. You know the G League is not a one to one to the playoffs. So I'm interested to see how this goes. I always almost always applaud experimentation uh but i do think this could have some uh, unforeseen consequences yeah you're where you ended up is pretty much where i am which is i'm not super confident that this is going to quote unquote work but i am very happy that they're trying it because that's the only way you can learn and the nba it seems to me they're looking towards this idea of can we get games reliably at or below two hours because that would be huge for television purposes it's it, it's kind of the gold standard for a lot of different elements of this in terms of packaging it maybe putting even putting two games on a place like abc on a single day or something like that and it's one way of doing that there are other ways i i would say the league should go aggressively after replay reviews in the same respect of either timing them or limiting limiting their use especially you know the really frustrating ones like clear path and all that there are a lot of different ways to fix different elements of this on timing but doing one is an idea that they're actually trying to do that which i think is is good so we'll, we'll see and i'm interested in it and maybe I, I think i'll try to pay attention a little bit more to the g league whether it's nba cast stuff or not just to get a sense of how this is working and maybe try to talk to people in the league office to see how they feel about it one other piece of league news oh, actually there are two more but one is very quick so i'll just run through that uh there's a slight drop per shamstrania in the projections for the 2020 21 caps that is next season not the upcoming yeah. one so we just we, 
let's just call that 2021 i guess i i guess the problem that comes in when you're trying to decide between the 2020-21 season or just the summer of 2021 which is actually the 21-22 season so that's a little we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll work on it but anyway so <laughs> but, yeah, so... but we only have two options I, we, yeah i guess but maybe we can uh debate this as, as we watch football like all day tomorrow yeah, that, that, that sounds Saturday like a good point right now. yeah we'll yeah. release we'll release that argument as a patreon no we probably <laughs> won't but uh so for next season just a drop of a million dollars for the cap and the tax is, is what i saw from shams and i'm guessing that it's not a revenue-based thing this ties in for those who listen to the podcast long enough back in 2016 i said that the cap estimate for 2017 was going to be lower than some thought because basically teams are going to spend more and that seems to me like what happened i don't have a source on that but the drop and that it doesn't continue into the future makes me think that it was basically they they didn't price they didn't price in the spending exactly right not a huge deal yeah and the 21 22 cap uh is not changed as of now so but we're then still the, going yeah but then Go the ahead. other thing that came out uh is from mark stein is hall of famer mark stein sorry i should i should clarify is is a really exciting thing for me as somebody who's been wondering about this for a long time and that's that the league is now telling teams that they have to certify and submit both precise heights and ages for every player within the first week of training camp heights are going to be measured without shoes so we're going to see some big adjustments there but it's also just fun i think people are going to learn a lot about how these things have been distorted. Chris Herring a few years ago wrote an excellent piece, I believe that was for the Wall Street Journal, about this. And so some guys, it gets pushed way higher. Some guys, it actually gets dropped, Kevin Durant most notably. And I think it's going to lead to certain players being more appreciated, like Draymond Green and Chris Paul in particular. I believe they are meaningfully smaller than their listed heights. And some might say, oh, look at that guy. I think that's actually going to be a positive for them because it'll be like, holy crap, look at what this guy can do, even though he's shorter than like every other guy who plays his position. Yeah, I mean, it's really more veterans that this applies to because most players get measured at the combine or they've been measured throughout usa basketball so it's really for guys who grow more once they enter the league or veterans who didn't necessarily come up through part of that system let's take a quick break to tell you about native it's deodorant formulated without aluminum parabens and talc and it's with ingredients found in nature such as coconut oil shea butter tapioca starch my wife avoids deodorants that have aluminum in them since that may be linked to, to breast cancer thing to like about native is that their products are just filled with trusted ingredients and they come in a wide variety of enticing scents they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year classic includes coconut and vanilla lavender and rose cucumber and mint and eucalyptus and mint and for those with sensitivities they also have an unscented formula and a baking soda free formula as well making the switch to a natural deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor and wetness protection native is proof of that that's why it has over 8,000 five-star reviews there's no risk to try it they offer free shipping and free returns and exchanges in the united states for 20 percent off your first purchase visit nativedeodorant.com and use that familiar promo code capspace which we talk about all the time here on the program so very easy to remember that that's promo code capspace at nativedeodorant.com to get you 20% off your first purchase. And of course, don't forget that cap space code too to let them know that you came from us. Let's get to the teams now. And I'm going to start using this term. Mike Prady used it on the, the Wizards podcast that we did, the September surprise. And he said there's always a September surprise for the Wizards. And we're seeing that as teams are starting to get back together now. A few teams have had media day uh, that there are some September surprises in terms of injuries uh, where you just assume, hey, you know what? This guy is healthy. He's going to be 
cleared for camp or we didn't even know that he had an injury and then he shows up and it's like oh yeah the team's gonna release that uh say alan crab is going to miss the entire preseason with uh, continued issues with that right knee you remember he was playing then he was not playing last year then he ended up having surgery and he apparently has not fully recovered so it's looking like this is a significant knee injury for him and so if he's going to miss the entire preseason to me that says well the earliest he could be back would be you know three months into the regular season probably and considering that if he's not playing now i don't know what his level of activity over the summer has been you have to imagine it wasn't very high so he's good it seems like he's gonna have like still quite a rehab process ahead of him and, and talked about it with brad roland on the hawks preview they actually really need alan Krebs. they don't have a ton uh on the wing in terms of shooting outside of their starting lap so i thought he was going to play a key i mean there's probably 25 minutes a game for him if he were healthy on this team he's still a quality rotation player despite that massive contract so uh maybe they're it, crab just isn't really in their plans they really want to play reddish and hunter more but i felt like there's a, a way crab could have helped them and then cam reddish has been cleared uh, brad said that he hadn't as of a couple of weeks ago he's been cleared to participate fully in training camp uh john collins has a right hip strain with uh no particular details on that but it seems like he's at most limited in camp same thing with alex len and his low back pain and kevin herter with knee pain so the the hawks are usually very conservative about injuries in this rebuilding era but not a great start for them and i'm lower on the hawks than a lot of people are this year and this is another little data point in that direction well going back to reddish i'm going to continue on the thread of rookies who didn't play in summer league kind of from a precautionary or just because they actually couldn't play in summer league perspective but getting cleared john morant same story he had arthroscopic surgery in june he was unable to play in summer league which was a selfish disappointment because i love watching john morant but now he's cleared to play full participate in training camp that is the more important thing i'm really happy for the Grizzlies, and he is in addition to training camp, but there are two surprising subtractions from training camp. One is Josh Jackson, who there were multiple reasons why the Grizzlies made that trade. One of them was that they got one or two second round picks to take on basically three and a half million in money, which is pretty good business when you're betting that the Phoenix Suns aren't going to be good. But Josh Jackson is not going to join the team in training camp and is going to start in the G League. This is shocking because it's hard to see what the benefit of that is. Maybe there's something else going on here, but even if he's going to start the season in the G League, you would still want him in training camp with the Memphis Grizzlies. Well, I mean, maybe this just means they've already agreed that they're going to part ways and and that the Grizzlies have just decided he is just not part of their plans at all and they do have jay crowder they've got caboclo they've got solomon hill iguodala also is just not going to report to camp while they try to work out a trade with him but you know that's something that's probably going to drag well into the season seems like andre's just going to stay in the bay area during that time but it's yeah this this is really weird like why he wouldn't want to be in camp trying to get better going against other nba players maybe they just feel like there's an injury risk but it seems that there's really no other conclusion to take from this other than that jackson is just not going to be in the grizzlies plans and they are of course certain to decline his fourth year option which is 8.9 million dollars and maybe this is just jackson wants to get more reps in the g league and feels like he can move on somewhere perhaps he'll just be kept around as potential trade fodder just a 
I like matching salary. I don't think there'd be a team that's really to be interested in him at that price. But it, yeah, we've never seen this before. It's very odd. It is very odd. Uh, some positive injury news from New Orleans. Both Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball have been full participants in their workout so far. Ingram was dealing with deep vein thrombosis. It was that the very concerning stuff that happened towards the end of last year. He stopped playing in March. And Lonzo Ball missed the final 35 games of last year dealing with an ankle sprain. So them being full participants is definitely good thing and for those who want to read the part of Darius Miller being uh the walking trade exception is the term that I that I'm using now for basically for those purposes I wrote about this at the athletic he subsequently got injured and the Pelicans yeah, actually, the, the, in his case he's actually not really able to, able walking. to walk at the moment yeah <laughs> unfortunately but the yeah, he's a rostered trade exception and but but so with miller the pelicans requested and received applied for and received a disabled player exception worth 3.62 million dollars so what this means is because miller assuming they keep him on the roster they can have a they can use him for a trade and they could separately obviously not in the same thing use use the trade exception that was created by him being hurt so there are two different ways that the team could change improve over the course of the year that will be something that of course the two of us will be tracking over the course of the season don't need to hit on this too much the milwaukee bucks have been hit with a jaywalking fine of fifty thousand dollars for uh, john horse discussing a possible extension for Giannis at I think it was a season ticket holder event and saying that yes they are going to offer him the supermax that's still it seems absurd that you can tamper with your own player but that is something that could indicate that there's a, an agreement in place you're not allowed to discuss future extensions any contract beyond the one that you're currently on before uh, the player is eligible to receive it so uh good job but this is uh the league just trying to prove that uh they are making it a level playing field for everyone there is some irony i'm sure because the bucks are probably the most concerned team about supposed tampering with Giannis's free agency coming up there's one nice thing too is that at least they're not gonna find teams for just your garden variety oh Giannis Antetokounmpo is a great player and in, you know in an interview that didn't really seem very consistent Dan Feldman's been all over that about how coaches are always gonna say good things about the opposing players in, in media scrums and stuff so why should it be any different for executives to say obviously yeah this guy is a really good player um let's get to faults here this is uh, and the magic this is really interesting we'll start with just some of the video that's come out the report that marco faults will be participating in camp without restrictions i think his jumper still looks pretty busted from the video that i've seen he's shooting it way out in front of his head starting the motion down at his waist to I me mean, i think it's kind of like he needs to just have it be one fluid motion because to not have either the pain or the psychological issues kind of catch him as he used to shoot it more uh, with a higher release point that wasn't just like a straight one motion type of thing but I don't think his three-pointer looks very good he's bringing the ball up way in front of his body his release point is not very high you remember you get it blocked on that sometimes with the Sixers so he says that he's the pain is reduced he certainly still i think has that that magic with the ball and i think he, he can still be maybe an effective backup point guard at least with the the shooting limitations but i think there are going to be limitations maybe he can shoot some mid-rangers but i'm uh i don't know if he can become a superstar the way without the jump shot that he had at washington but maybe he can at least be an effective player for the magic and interestingly the magic in a move that i don't think any of us really agreed with decided to exercise the options all 
already on Markel Fultz and Mo Bamba before training camp even started. They have until October 31st to do that. The reason that is so notable is because of the amount of, especially Fultz, I mean, Bamba at $6 million and he has another option after that. But for Fultz, $12.3 million for the 2021 season. That is a lot of money for a player who hasn't established that level of performance. And this is a little different from the preemptive maxes, which I've been critical of, but it's the same basic idea of if you are not sure, take the time necessary to become sure. And in in this circumstance, that's, you know, into October, so it's not that far away, but they would learn a lot about Marco Fultz in the next few weeks. And it is frustrating and concerning in some ways to me that they did so. It is possible that the Magic know more. I mean, it's certain that they know more than we do, but that what they know affected that decision. But considering what we saw from his jump shot and everything else, it feels to me like a few more weeks of time would have been useful. I would have picked up Bombas, even though he was disappointing last year and detrimental in many ways. But that ties in with an interesting thing, which... The aforementioned Mike Prada and Fred Katz, we talked about on Real Jam Radio this week, which was last year, the Magic, really part of what helped them take flight in the second half of the year was they excised the worst parts of their bench rotation. That was Bamba, Jerry, Jerry and Grant, and Jonathan Simmons. And Bamba was due to injury. The other two, they just got other guys. And now it sounds like Bamba's getting his spot back. And now there's an expectation that he will be better in year two than year one. That's generally the way this works. But they still have Ken Birch, who is better than Mo Bamba right now. And I'm wondering how that's going to work out. This is always a point of conflict between front offices and coaches when there is a player who you want to develop who is worse than another option you have. So that'll be worth watching with Steve Clifford and Jeff Weltman. Yeah, Clifford saying, hey, he's starting camp as the backup center. We don't want him to lose. You shouldn't lose your spot due to injury. That's always just a, a touchy construction there uh, that teams just use conveniently to support whether they want to do it or whether they don't want to replace the guy now starting camp doesn't mean that he's going to start the season as the backup center maybe he'll actually be better um getting back to the decision to exercise the options now even with the options exercise they're about eight million dollars over the cap uh, by my projections for next year if they hadn't exercised both of these they still really would only be you know like 10 million under basically still mid-level exception area so there isn't a huge cap consequence to doing this now not still good to not have just 12 million dollars in dead salary on your books for a given year and perhaps if they add salary during the season this could affect their ability to use the BAE and the full MLE and stay below the tax next summer we'll also see whether Evan Fournier opts into his 17 million or not that could change things now if Fournier were to opt out then those and didn't want to come back those numbers could be a lot more impactful as far as them having salary cap space or not but their thought is hey we're trying to show confidence in markel we're trying to show confidence in mo bamba we're trying to build a program here and whatever small chance there was that we were going to use cap space next year and that these guys were not going to be worth their salary i mean i think there's a pretty big chance those guys aren't going to be worth their salary next year but uh that if you want them to actually be worth it, you have to almost self-fulfill the prophecy and exercise their options. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think that's what the thinking is. And at the at the very least, waiting until you've seen them in a couple of preseasons games like isn't going to kill you and isn't going to kill your relationship with them. And there, this is really yeah. There's showing a faith in the players, but there's a point at which you're not really getting anything else. Uh, 
for showing that faith in me is there really a difference between whether you're gonna exercise it on october 20th or on september 20th i i don't really think so um one other quick see. thing i wanted to, i want to mention one other quick thing on this yeah. which is the the Fultz pickup is a for me a, a, an indicator of something that i'd been wondering about earlier in the offseason which is why aren't the magic putting more resources into backup point guard or point guard of the future however you want to define it because they had the mid-level exception they had a draft pick and used neither of those on point guards and it looks to me like their intention is that that is Markel Fultz whether they're right or not we'll have to see with the passage of time I I mean maybe Markel you know if he's not gonna be a superstar without the jumper I mean he could still be a okay starting point guard I mean he could be Alfred Payton with like a little bit more dynamicism like that type of player I was I was hoping you were gonna say Dennis Schroeder but yeah no no he's got he's got more size I think that's true um but yeah, I, I was mean, hoping you were going to yeah. say Schroeder just to troll me, but uh, but then that that the, the draft pick ties in with the other magic news story, which now I'm giving myself the opportunity to say his name again. That something that's been speculated for a long time is now formalized, which is that number 16 pick in the draft, Chumo Keke, is going to play this season in the G League and will not start his rookie scale contract. That's the two guaranteed years plus two team options until the 2021 season, so one year away. And this is basically the Josh Eustace situation, except that this was the 16th pick as opposed to a late first. And he Okeke got generated praise for his play before he got injured. So this is a little bit different where it's not necessarily a non-first round pick getting taken in the first round because he was willing to take less money. But there are certainly some indicators that it is more that direction than a normal pick would be. Yeah, people go back to the Josh Eustace situation that didn't work out for OKC. He's the last player where it seemed like there might have been a prearranged decision to have him wait now people have said oh it's better for okk too because uh the rookie scale is going to go up next year so he'll get paid more uh yeah i don't i wouldn't say that because it's not because yeah yeah, you you get some free agency earlier you get to free agency earlier you get paid a year earlier and theoretically there's a uh, i would guess that there's the chances of those option years getting picked up or turned down are, are different but yeah hitting free agency a year earlier is worth significantly more than the slight bump in the rookie scale yeah now if he sucks He's probably better off getting that that bump in the rookie scale. But uh, yeah, if he's any kind of a player who's going to get a second tra- contract, you're basically trading a year of G League wages. I guess he's basically paying this year for like a million bucks. Because uh, the rookie scale is not like a million higher for every year or, or for for each year of the rookie scale next year, right? No, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that level of jump, but I, I don't have the numbers firmly right in front of me. All right, we'll talk about something else and I'll, I'll okay. confirm that. Yeah, so <laughs> let, let's go Let's go to the aforementioned September surprise, We that, that Praetis term, with the Washington Wizards. Isaiah Thomas had a rupture of the radial collateral ligament in his left thumb. He is expected to miss six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks would be through a part of the regular season. Fred Katz worked out the timing and it would basically be if we're taking it rigidly right around this time that the Wizards head up to Boston to play the Celtics it would be nice to see Isaiah play in that game we'll of course have to see and this creates a challenge for the Wizards granted neither of us thinks that they're particularly a playoff team in terms of how they're going to handle the playmaking responsibilities in his stead also in Washington, Troy Brown has a calf strain. He is going to miss the projections. At, if he misses four weeks, that's basically training camp in the preseason, but probably being ready right around the start of the regular season. 
Brown is definitely going to be part of the rotation. Could even be more than that. We're going to, I mean, it's going to be different now that he's unavailable in the preseason, but the Wizards have playing opportunities. That's for damn sure. And I also love the, the Isaiah line. He said he hurt his damn thumb trying to play defense. Never again. LOL. Never again. That's pretty fantastic. Recognition by Isaiah. Yeah. And Troy Brown, I mean, he was really probably going to start for the Wizards at the three. That's something that Prada and Katz and I talked about it, just how limited they are at the three to begin with. He's not an established starting three option and now they they lost him and his development also is going to be an important part of, of their story this season meanwhile uh, there was some discussion that kyle kuzma's injury that had him leave team usa was one of these oh he's injured we're gonna send him home but he wouldn't have made the team anyway jerry colangelo later commented that his loss was a, a big one for the team i humbly disagree with mr colangelo but it turns out that kuzma has a stress reaction in his left foot and he's scheduled for an MRI when the team returns from China in a couple of weeks. Looks like he might be in danger of missing the start of the season or at least that he's going to be a little bit behind. So this is score one for the people who are like, yeah, I don't want my guy playing USA basketball because uh, he did uh, apparently get hurt there. And we've seen other guys obviously get hurt in FIBA play, Paul George among them. And then Talon Horton Tucker, their number 50 or 46 overall pick. He has a stress reaction in his right foot, did not play in summer league, and he's only have limited participation in training camp as well. So a couple of injuries for the Lakers. They uh, have overhauled their medical staff a couple of times in recent years. We'll see whether this is going to be another injury hit year for the Lakers, not off to a great start. And the one thing that might be a silver lining here is that if Kuzma is not there to start the season, that they'll kind of get into rhythm. Maybe they'll play well. I think Kuzma might be a better fit off the bench with this group. And so perhaps that uh, the fact that he's not starting the season if in fact that's uh, what ends up happening could lead them more in that direction of bringing him off the bench in houston ryan anderson who uh, had one of the more dizzying falls from grace in the 17-18 season until he hurt his ankle towards the end of the year was a really valuable player for the rockets was having one of the best seasons of his career and then he gets traded to phoenix gives up six million bucks in guarantees to do that he's supposed to start there that last eight games when he shot terribly he basically didn't play it all last year got traded again as dead salary to miami then he got stretched this offseason looks like he's getting a partial guarantee on the minimum to play with the rockets so at least he gets about 2.6 million of that five million or so that he gave up back if he does make the team and i think houston can use him we talked some for houston about how bad their end of the bench is and now they're wasting a roster spot basically on nene who's out with a a groin issue and they basically can't play him more than 10 games because they'll be risking (laughs) activating his bonuses as we talked about uh, with uh, albert navad the other day so Anderson, if he can play at all and he fits in well to that rocket system, if he even just during the regular season could come in and bomb some threes, give them something offensively. I mean, they've got some roster spots in there of guys who don't give them anything on either end of the floor uh, at this moment. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he makes the team and it doesn't seem like he should be done because he was playing well and we've basically got eight games worth of time of him playing poorly to say that he's like done now so I, I I hope he can contribute it's really too bad that he just fell off the face of the earth like this something worth tracking for the Rockets is that they now have 
twelve fully guaranteed contracts, and and that doesn't include Ryan Anderson because his contract is has a has a partial guarantee but not a full one. And then they have a bunch of other guys on either non guarantees or, or partial guarantees that have a decent shot of making the team. Gary Clark, most notably, but also Ryan Anderson, Macklemore as a partial guarantee, and then other guys like Anthony Bennett, Michael Frazier, who are non guaranteed. So it's going to be a tough battle for those last spots. It doesn't look like Amon Shumpert is going to get one of them, but I mean they're getting kind of closer to it. And we wondered how the Rockets were going to fill out their roster because of some of the guys like Isaiah Hartenstein at the bottom end that aren't really going to be much of a value add. So they're going to have to get a lot out of these type of players if they're going to be really in the mix. The Warriors signed Marquise Chris to a non-guaranteed camp invite. We'll see if he makes the team. They have minutes if anybody can actually play. The Pistons signed... Well, well, quickly on that... Chris seems almost certain not to make the team. The only yeah. way he does is if he beats out Alfonso McKinney. They've also got Devin Marble in camp as well. Seems very unlikely to me that they would cut McKinney. He's he isn't that great, but he's at least a wing who provided some contribution last he's, year. And they he's not that great, wings. but likely they're starting small forward. At least that's what I'm seeing at the <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah, so I mean he is not guaranteed. So this might just be an exhibit ten, go play for our G League team, or just a chance for him to get some minutes with somebody in the offseason or in the preseason and, and end up somewhere else um and, and also chris i just don't think he provides much of, of what they need and they have they have as chris is a center they have plenty of centers uh, already so i'm uh I, I think the chances of him starting the year with the team i mean maybe he just blows up and he's just so good that you can't keep him off the um can't keep him off the roster but that seems highly unlikely considering that he uh was uh not good last year so uh the detroit pistons signed seven-time all-star and big three standout joe johnson to a contract he is about two hundred thousand guaranteed 220 and that increases if he's not waived by october 21st to about half guaranteed and so he's battling with christian wood and a few other guys for one of the last spots in the pistons lineup we'll, we'll see if, we'll see if he makes the team that would be exciting for him to, yeah. to make his and by the way, the we talked about this on your show with Dan, but uh, the Michael Beasley signing that was agreed to apparently never happened. Uh, and so, yeah, wait, wait, wait just... we had a deal. <laughs> uh in denver bull bull has a two-way contract for two years that's really pretty remarkable considering the amounts of money that some of the other guys in that range were signing for guaranteed they did denver did trade up to get him perhaps just getting hit it was looking like he might go undrafted and so his representation agreed to this uh if they if it could get him drafted and perhaps this will just be the thing where he gets converted to a normal nba contract later in the season where denver as of right now with their guarantees is nine hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars below the tax line you don't see them paying the tax so maybe once bull it gets to the point where bull wouldn't count as much against the cap they might convert him over as well he does because it does count as service time as well even if he's only on a a two-way one piece of news that interested me, I'd, I haven't published it yet, but I've been working on a piece about the challenging option decisions for next season that had to be made the rookie scale guys. And Markel Fultz getting picked up just totally screwed with it because that was the centerpiece of my article. And then now it's already happened. Another one that I thought was an interesting decision was Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson was drafted by the Kings, kind of fell out of the rotation to an extent, and then was included in the Harrison Barnes trade to the Dallas Mavericks. And Jackson has had a an option worth five million dollars for next season for 2021 and they picked that up 
you know, before camp and everything else like that. But this is probably a sign that Justin Jackson could be a part of the Mavericks rotation, or at least that they think that. Also, the opportunity cost here is not quite as high because with the money that Dallas spent this offseason, it doesn't really look like they were going to be a cap space team anyway. But, you know, still still a data point, especially because they did so before training camp. Yeah, Jackson uh, did have some moments once he moved over to the Mavs. If you just weren't so darn skinny, you'd like him a, a lot more. But they are very weak at the three. Between he and Finney Smith, those are really your only traditional threes. Uh, September surprise in Cleveland, Dylan Windler will be sidelined four to six weeks with a tibial stress reaction. So he's going to miss the start of the season almost certainly. For the Bulls in August, Chandler Hutchison suffered a left hamstring strain. No word on whether he's going to be available to start the season, but obviously not great for him a a player this is a critical season for him older when he was drafted there are some minutes available at the backup three but he's going to need to really significantly improve from where he was in summer league to help there and then i think this is actually somewhat significant usually these sorts of things oh minority owners that doesn't matter but michael jordan brought in a few partners he's going to maintain majority control but i think this is good just because maybe the hornets won't be so cash flow focused they are pathetically an expensive team again but maybe this at least means that with these owners in there they can afford to pay the luxury tax if it gets to that point again but when the hornets have a team good enough to want to pay the luxury tax uh doesn't look like it'll be in the offing anytime soon but i think jordan was notoriously one of the more cash poor owners in the league and so perhaps this could make them a little bit less focused on short-term profits uh, than they have been but again we're a a ways away from that potentially being an issue but i think that is a probably a good thing for the competitiveness of the hornets that these guys have been brought in and our, our last team to discuss is the Brooklyn Nets. They did a very smart thing by saying that they expect Kevin Durant to miss the entire season. That is how you set expectations instead yeah. of saying, oh, well, maybe he's going to come back because. Yeah, you well, can there always- had been some rumors that uh, I think in the New York Post that there's a lot of talk that he could come back. And I think they really wanted to quash that. Yeah. And, and he still could. This is not a binding a binding statement. They can. It's not like they're putting him on. I think the NFL has an injured reserve that like you can't pull the guy off. They're, the Nets are not doing that. They're just saying they expect him to be out for the year. And then if he's back early, great. And that's exactly how you approach it. I was both of us were very critical of the way the Warriors handled the expectations part of Kevin Durant. I mean, there might have been other parts too, but the expectation stuff of just it seemed like it was they could have just been more aggressive in saying he's going to be out for a while, and then if he comes back early that's fine and Kyrie Irving uh had has a left side facial fracture which suffered a couple days ago he's listed as day-to-day it led to Jeff Stotts in street at in street clothes making the the point which is just an unbelievable phrase I hope I get it right that Kyrie Irving has a propensity for facial fractures which is wild but also true I think this is his third or his fourth since he you know in in, in his time in the league so it's not going to, I don't think it's going to affect him. Maybe we get a little bit of mass Kyrie at some point in the preseason, but it looks like we're not going to see too much there. Yeah. And the Nets, despite some discussion that they might sign Carl Anthony, who they don't need in the slightest, instead uh, have signed CJ Williams, who had some moments two years ago with the Clippers, then spent last year with the Wolves and wasn't able to produce a ton. Williams is uh, in his late 20s now, but 
not much of an athlete but plays hard defense and if he can hit some shots maybe he could find some space on this team and same thing with lance thomas for uh, thomas probably has a better chance of making the team because they just don't have a ton at the four especially considering that uh rudy crooks with some domestic violence allegations against him might be a question mark at some point this season so with kd out having a little bit more at the four the combo forward like thomas also have a, a good vet locker room guy it could be useful quick break here before we bring in james ham to talk kings to let you know about masterclass which my wife has been devouring them lately margaret atwood has a masterclass that she's taken on writing fiction neil gaiman has a class i just read a, his book american gods daniel negranu teaches poker simone biles now has a gymnastics fundamentals my wife is actually in the middle of chris hadfield's class on space exploration hadfield is the former commander of the international space station she said that class is awesome it's really accessible even for people without a science background of course steph curry is their basketball instructor i've watched that class it's really high quality whether you're just interested in subjects or you really want to try and learning get better at your craft they have a bunch of cooking instructors as well it's actually structured like a real class you can access it on your phone on your computer apple tv each class has individual video lessons downloadable materials which you can explore at your own pace just give it a shot you can get unlimited access to every master class and 15 percent off their annual all access pass at masterclass.com slash cap space once again that's masterclass.com slash cap space for 15 percent off masterclass and don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us it's been a while that we've been able to say that the Sacramento Kings are one of the darlings of the NBA, but they became a cult favorite last year on League Pass with their high pace and De'Aaron Fox. And now I want to talk to uh, James Hamm from NBC Sports and California. It's California, right? That is the uh, the technical term. Yeah, for NBC Sports California, NBC Sports Bay Area, both. Yeah, so let's see. We'll see whether uh, he thinks these Kings uh, can take the next step uh, this year. I, I wanted to start by talking about how good these guys were last year. I think there was a perception that they were over their heads. They were in relative playoff contention, even at the the trade deadline. But then, while teams like the Clippers and Spurs really took off, got to forty eight wins, Kings kind of floundered a little bit, even with the acquisition of Barnes. Uh, and ended up slightly below 500 on the year 39 and 43 pretty similar point differential to that but i think the place to start is just what improved so dramatically for them last year before we talk about whether that's sustainable and in fact can be improved on yeah i think the biggest improvement was just in the quality of the players the young players really took uh gigantic leaps forward if you look at what De'Aaron fox was able to do uh, if you look what Buddy Hill was able to do, even Marvin Bagley coming in as a rookie and averaging almost 15 points and seven and a half rebounds a game. Um, I think they took some huge steps. And I also think, you know, a lot of props needs to go to Dave Yeager. He designed his his offense around the, the talent that he had. And uh, we didn't see the old grit and grind Dave Yeager. We saw a up-tempo, crazy, frenetic pace. Uh, I think it slowed as the season went on. But that was always by design that as the team got better, they, they thought that the pace would start to slow down slightly uh, as they started, you know, 
putting in more offensive sets and and just got better at the overall game of basketball. Um, I think it masked a lot of their deficiencies. And I think this offseason they went out and filled a lot of those deficiencies to try to shore up what they're doing. Um, but overall, I, I think it was it was a really good starting place. And it was probably, uh, I would say, 14 or 15 games ahead of where most people thought they would be. Um, and I, I think if you look at sort of the history of what they've done over the last decade and having a lot lot of disappointing seasons, a lot of seasons that you thought they should be better than, say, a 33-win team when they had, you know, plenty of talent. Um, I think this is the first year where you really saw a team take a huge leap forward and show that maybe they've got something and and two or three years down the road, they could be a, a, ten, a contending quality team. So I, I think there's a lot to like about what happened last season. Um, whether it's sustainable or not, I'm sure we're going to get into it. Yeah, and you know, I think the thing that got the most attention, obviously, was the running, and Dave Yeager was a big part of that. I remember asking him early in the season how he got him to do it. He's like, well, I lost my voice. I basically just scream at them to run at every opportunity, which was, was kind of a funny remark. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think he did do a good job. Uh, you know, Why was it that he uh, ended up, the, that they ended up moving on from him, despite the fact that I think from an X's and O's standpoint, it, it seemed like he really uh, did an excellent job last year? You know, Jaeger can be surly. Uh, he can, uh, his he took a stance early in the season, which by all means was well within his rights. Uh, but when the Brandon Williams situation kind of flared its ugly head, uh, they got off to a fast start. And next thing you know, there's still reports out there that uh, that he could be let go. Um, I, I think, first of all, coming into the season, Jaeger did not think he was going to last very long. Um, he and I had had discussions. He had had discussions with other people. Uh, he had kind of looked at the 20-game mark, looked at the schedule, uh, looked at the players on his roster, and had come up with that as the mark where, look, I've got to get past the 20-game mark. If I can get past there, then maybe I'll, I'll be around for the rest of the season. But uh, there was a good chance he did not think he would be there for, for anything after game 20. And uh, when they were successful in that first 20 games of the season, um, that's when the whole uh, conflict from within came up and, and Brandon Williams uh, and others, you know, having conversations out with the media about whether Dave Yeager was still on on strong ground. Um, so when he took his stance uh, against Brandon Williams uh, and against, um, you know, other people that, that had the same opinion as Williams, uh, I think he, he kind of put himself out there. And, and I think it's probably the only move he had uh, was to try to say it's either me or him. But I also yeah, think... I, it, I mean, public opinion did appear to be on his side at the time, although that ultimately yeah, didn't save yeah. him. Well, yeah, but I think the the issue is that it, it's still afraid relationships behind the scenes. And, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, his inability to move past it. Uh, and, and I think if you look at Vlade Divac, he's, he's long been known as uh, a person that can, that can pull people together, bring everyone together, um, put them on the same page. Uh, well, Dave really didn't want to ever be on the same page with Brandon Williams again. Um, and for good reason. I mean, I, I'm not going to fault him for his his line of attack. Um, but I just think that it, it made an issue that uh, that they couldn't get past. And they didn't know uh, what to do when they, they got towards the end of the season. The team started to break down a bit. Um, I think it just kind of 
uh, cemented the fact that, you know, we're a 39 win team. If we get to 45 wins or 48 wins uh, next season, then Dave Yeager is going to be here for a long time. Can we work with him long time at long term? Is he the right fit for us for like the next eight to 10 years? Because I think that's where you really do come up. Uh, you have to make that decision now. Um, you know, they of course paid him out for his next year's salary, um, but he would have wanted an extension this summer and you really had to decide, is this the guy or is he not? And Vladi decided that he's not the guy he wanted to work with long term. And that's his prerogative as well. Yeah, and I think a, a few things that add to that, you know, Dave's agent, Warren Legary, is not interested in going into final seasons of contracts. Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, so that's a, that's a big part of it, too. Uh, it, it seemed also the fact that uh, Jaeger, there, there are some reports after the season uh, that he didn't have the greatest relationship with Bagley or and Giles. That was kind of what I got reading between the lines of, of some of those reports and then finally the fact that they knew that they had a guy that i think at the time they considered an upgrade basically uh they knew luke walton was going to get fired it seemed like that deal was basically done before he even got fired in la and so they got a guy that i would imagine they think is an upgrade yeah i mean i i believe they they think that luke walton is an upgrade um i I will point out that luke walton and dave yeager ran the identical records over the last three seasons uh (laughs) one with the lakers one with the kings uh i can guarantee you this the lakers roster had more talent than the kings for much of that time and so i mean you really it's hard to say who is doing what i mean uh luke walton didn't make the playoffs with lebron james on his roster last year uh dave yeager nearly made the playoffs with you know a a 20 year old starting point guard a a 19 year old power forward uh you know a a young up and coming team, but one that no one really expected to be where they finished at the end of the year. Um, so it, it, it's hard to compare because if we, uh, I, I just wrote this for a piece today, like are the Kings getting um, the 39 and four uh, Golden State Warriors, Luke Walton, are they getting the 98 and 148 or whatever it is? Uh, uh, Lakers, Luke Walton. I, I think you're going to get something in between for sure. Uh, but, you know, he's got to be good. He's got to be the answer because this team has been, you know, waiting and waiting 13 years without a playoff run. Um, and this is a, a time where they're building and they think that they, they're on to something. And so hopefully he's the right piece. Uh, I certainly think his offensive style and, and a lot of the things he brings to the table are, are perfect for this team. Yeah. And I think Luke may, maybe did a better job than that raw record with the Lakers would indicate when you consider some of the injuries that they had. I mean, you can make the argument that he was better kind of getting the end of the roster guys to play hard. I thought that they punched above their weight defensively at times with some of the groups uh, that they had there. Uh, obviously, it was a disappointment. He didn't appear to get along with LeBron. And so uh, after the disappointment of last year, it was fait accompli that they were going to move on from it but i do like the fact that he's going to continue the pushing the ball which you know frankly is is just about entirely De'Aaron fox related i mean when he's on the floor they're probably the best transition team in basketball when he's off the floor they're you know, pretty average uh mm-hmm. so i mean i think a lot of that is just what fox is able to do but you know he's going to be out there for 34 minutes a game so that's that should be helpful so i do like that luke you know has this history uh, of pushing the pace and the other thing that i think was totally undercovered for me i mean probably not by you but uh, nationally it's just that like the kings were actually competent defensively last year which is if you looked at their roster and you look at what they did the year before you're like where is this defense coming from for them to be you know right around league average just slightly below it 
defensively last year that was my biggest question how did they take a step forward on that end and, and can that sustain um you know what i think they can actually be a lot better this year defensively. I, I'm, I kind of agree with you actually uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little more with some of the new personnel yeah yeah i mean the the new personnel is one thing um but also they're gonna do a lot more switching um once they get their base defense set and you know they all have the same terminology and understanding um the idea is to switch over to uh more of what you've seen from Golden State Warriors. Uh, and I think the Kings have a lot of versatility as far as defensive, defensively. Uh, I think they really can improve. Um, they brought in, uh, is it Bob Byers? That's who they brought in uh, to run the defensive side of the ball. Uh, a seasoned NBA defensive mining coach that really does know what he's doing. And uh, I think it's interesting. I, I will point this out though. Um, Luke Walton brought one, uh, he brought Jesse Mermis uh, with him from the Lakers. But outside of that, he has an entirely new coaching staff. And that coaching staff is entirely new to each other, which is kind of interesting. Um, So I think that will actually play a a role this early in the season as well. You know, the Kings have a lot of new faces, a a lot of new rotational players, but also an entirely new coaching staff that is unfamiliar with each other. And so they're going to have to figure things out pretty quickly, as opposed to Dave Yeager's staff, who every single one of those guys had coached against each other, coached for each other, coached with each other uh, in the minor leagues and a lot of of them were together in Memphis. This is a new staff. So, you know, they've got a lot of work to do and a very limited amount of time uh, and an abbreviated training camp because they're going to India on Monday. So it, it's kind of a, a crazy whirlwind here for Luke Walton and his staff. Yeah. So let's turn now to uh, their off season a little bit. And it, I thought it was, they got some mixed reviews. Certainly you can make the argument that some of these contracts that they gave out you know, might be considered overpays. Of course, the, the counter to that is, hey, you know, we're in Sacramento. We don't necessarily get guys to come here for a discount. Um, and that they, you know, they had all this space. Now they don't have flexibility next year, but they will again uh, the year after. The, a lot of just basically two-year deals uh, with uh, Deadman, three years, $40 million, but the last year largely non-guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Same thing with uh, Corey Joseph. And then Trevor Rizzo is brought in only a one-year guarantee at, at about – but all those guys are about 12 million per season they re-sign harrison barnes to about 22 million a year but that uh, is going to decline at least to, to make that a little bit more palatable so that that was pretty much uh, their off season but they brought in three quality rotation guys all of whom can defend uh and now perhaps the idea is hey how the heck are you going to play all these guys but on the other hand i mean they at least got more quality nba players for this team uh and maybe they can trade some of what was kind of the party line of what they were trying to accomplish uh, this offseason uh, with some of these things that you know don't necessarily oh i guess rashawn holmes who's the other guy i forgot that don't yeah. necessarily all fit together into some larger plan but i mean these are good players who are now on the team yeah i mean i think what you're looking at is uh each position has its own specific reason why they brought someone in um last year i think that their second unit really did struggle you talked about De'Aaron fox when he went off the court the kings uh really did kind of the wheels fell off the bus and uh whether it was frank mason or yogi ferrell um or bogdan bogdanovich none of them are true point guards uh no one you didn't have any change of pace uh on that bench you didn't have any change of sort of style yeah and i I I hope that Farrell could be that guy but it seemed like they just were not that satisfied with what he was he was bringing them no no and i and i think you know a little bit of it is uh that yogi Farrell is an offensive player um but he's also 
a guy who likes a ball in his hands. And when yeah. you take the ball out of his hands, he doesn't move very much. Uh, same thing on the defensive end. If the guy in front of him has the ball, he's he's an aggressive defender. Uh, when the guy doesn't have the ball, he kind of gets lost in space and allows things to happen to him uh, as opposed to inflicting his own uh, damage. So I think when you look at Corey Joseph, you bring in a big physical, strong, defensive-minded guy uh, who doesn't turn the ball over, who could be a little bit better from the three-point line, but who isn't going to ask for a lot of shots because this team all of a sudden has a lot of scoring. Uh, and, you know, he's a guy that is okay averaging six, seven points a game. Um, and, and he's also fine playing on the ball and off the ball. I think he instantly secures that second unit with Bogdan Bogdanovich. I think it's a really nice pickup. Uh, but you're looking at a guy who played 27 minutes it's a game last year or something like that in Indiana. And he'll be lucky if he's playing 14, 16, maybe 17 minutes a game in Sacramento, if they can squeeze him and Fox on the court together. Uh, but that's what I kind of look at each of these positions. You know, you look at the Sacramento Kings walked into last season with Iman Shumpert and Justin Jackson as their only two small forwards on the roster. Uh, it was so bad at one point that they brought in Troy Williams on a, on a two-way contract and he actually played rotational minutes because of it. Uh, they had no size, no athleticism. Um, at that position. And that's not a knock. Uh, you know, Justin Jackson wasn't ready to compete for major minutes. Iman Shumpert had played 14 games a year before and is really a shooting guard at 6'5". Well, he, uh, he actually helped them quite a bit before he got moved. Yeah, uh, there was I, a I point, thought. though, where he became unplayable. Uh, you know, I, I thought, yes, he was. Yeah, and, and he had a lot of load management and stuff, too. But I, I thought he yeah. gave them some production there earlier in the season that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, but now if you look at that position, you go from those two starting last season to Harrison Barnes and Trevor Ariza this year. Uh, you have length, you have versatility, you have the ability to shoot the three ball. Um, I think last season, you know, Justin Jackson and uh, Iman Shumpert, they shot around 36.5% from the three-point line, but they only shot a combined eight three-pointers per game. Uh, with Barnes and uh, Ariza, your percentage goes up over 37%, and now you're looking at 12 three-point attempts per game. Um, so you're adding just versatility, length, defensive ability at that position that you just didn't have. So when you go up against uh, Kevin Durant or Danilo Gallinari, um, the Kings just had no one that could they could even sure. get in their face. Now they've got multiple players. Uh, plus, I think you know Bogdanovich is going to have to steal some minutes at that position as well uh, because yeah, Buddy Hill he, he plays bigger than his size at least defensively. Oh yeah, yeah, I think he does. I, I think he he's really strong and he's uh, he's a crafty defender. I mean, he can get beat uh, in a one on one situation. But you know, again, the Kings had no one playing goalie last year at all, no one protecting the rim. Uh, so what? would he what will he look like with guys like Dwayne Dedman and Rashawn Holmes uh as opposed to Willie Cauley Stein who averaged what 0.5.6 blocks per game um so you have some adjustments there um and then you know when you look at Dedman you looked at, at Rashawn Holmes uh they have like a hydra now at the at the center position with Harry Giles thrown in there um but Dedman the specific reason why they brought in Dedman is very very specific I, I loved that signing by the way I thought I yeah. think he is one of the most underrated players and just to get any any kind of a player in the NBA at any position who has two-way ability uh, and versatility the way he does. I mean, I know he's not a big name. He's, he bounced around for a while, but I mean, I, I thought that he can really be a huge guy for this team as you're starting to get to, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, he blocked shots. So, you know, he averaged 1.1 blocks per game in 25 minutes. So basically more than double what Willie Cauley-Stein brought to the table. Um, but the biggest thing with him is that he can shoot the three ball. He shot what I think it's 3.9 attempts per game or 3.2 attempts per game, but he, he shot at 38.2%. And so what he's going to allow the Kings to do is slide Marvin Bagley into the starting lineup uh, and clear space for Marvin, where Willie and Marvin would never work together because neither one of them can stretch the floor, at least right now. Uh, it does complicate things with what does that mean for Harry Giles going forward? Uh, how do you fit Rashawn Holmes in as well, which I love Rashawn Holmes. I mean, talk about a pick and roll specialist, but also on the defensive end, just impactful. Uh, what he was able to do as a defender last year on a just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think he might be getting a little overrated there uh, be, just because he wasn't DeAndre Ayton for that for that Suns team I mean I think he does block shots but I do think like his overall pick and roll defense and recognition I mean he'll he goes and gets these shots in the air and you know throws them into the stands and it looks impressive but I think on a play-to-play basis I, I haven't been impressed as impressed with his work so I'll be interested to see uh how he works out that's going to be a fascinating backup center battle between him and Giles yeah and you know you really you have three different players you have a three-point shooter uh you have a pick and roll offensive specialist in Holmes um and and again Holmes if you look at like his defensive percentages against and stuff like that absolutely spectacular I mean he guarded he defended the three-point line he might get mixed up in, in the pick and roll sometimes but uh I think he held his own uh, overall um uh, but then you have Giles who really is a creator and uh a creator and he's got a, a tough guy mentality that you want on your squad um, and a guy who might develop to be the best defender out of all three of them um and so you really have to kind of judge what it is that you're looking for um you know in, in that position and, and see if you can get minutes for all three but the chances of getting minutes for all three is very slim so so again, to get back to the, the question at hand, uh, while Corey Joseph, Dwayne Dedman, Trevor Ariza, Rashawn Holmes, and then I'll, I'll even throw in Harrison Barnes on, on that situation because, you know, he only played 28 games for the Kings last year. He opted out. He resigned. Um, you look at the package. They didn't tie up their money long term at all. Uh, when their big name players like De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley, uh, Buddy Heald, when their contracts are ready to balloon and go up, uh, the Kings will be freed of a lot of those contracts. And so, so there's a dynamic here in play that you have to think short term and long term and be realistic that you are the Sacramento Kings signing a frontline NBA star is not going to happen, uh, or at least historically it hasn't happened. I think their biggest free agent signing from the outside bringing them in ever is Vladi Divac. Uh, and even that was, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, uh, maybe more than that at this point. Well, 1998. Uh, so yeah, 21 years ago. Um, so it's just difficult. And so while there, it doesn't look like this home run. Uh, you take a team that won 39 games last year, uh, you pull out one piece in Willie Cauley Stein, and you fit in a better fitting piece in Dwayne Dedman. You shrew up the back of point guard position. You give yourself more athleticism and versatility at the small forward spot. Uh, that should mean that you can win more games. Uh, especially when you look at, again, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, maybe Harry Giles, their ability to take another step in their development and to become really good players in their third and, you know, second, third NBA seasons. Yeah, I think 
if you want to just look at what their biggest weaknesses were statistically it was when fox was off the floor well yeah okay you 12 million a year for Corey joseph all right that seems a, a little much right he, he's you know one of the better backup point guards in the nba when you consider how good a, de- a defender he is so you know maybe he's more of an eight or nine million dollar a year player but again you know what else were you going to do with that four million per year over over the next two years you know probably not that much uh, and you have to you have to pay him more to come to sacramento to take less minutes to be here in a city that yeah, has i mean won. that's an important so. thing is like he just you know he's like you're saying he's probably going to be under 20 minutes a game a lot of the time because you could in theory he's played in two-point guard alignments before uh but and i think he's actually pretty good guarding uh two guards who like to come off of screens but mm-hmm. yeah they've got healed and bogdanovich already you know so the and they've got a log jam of guys at the three so i, I mean i think he but what he can do defensively and then pushing the pace he's not you know a great score but his pace both in terms of the full court he likes to pick up full court defensively which can help he can force turnovers and then offensively he's not going to get to the rim finish but he's always going to be moving with the ball getting penetration looking to kick out their half court offensive pace could improve with him also so i think he's uh yeah that's a it's in theory it's an overpay but again you know what else were you doing with that money over the next two years i mean you're going to get into next year's free agent class and that's even even a worse class than this one so uh yeah i I think that i I totally understand what they're trying to do there because it's just worth it to pay that much to shore up what their biggest weakness was yeah and i'll bring this up too first of all um like a four to one assist to turnover ratio he doesn't turn the ball over which is spectacular even if you're playing at pace uh but also the kings have uh, whether it's ariza uh or it's um it's bielitsa uh or if it's a young piece that isn't quite fitting they have large chunks of contract now that if they think isn't working out their expiring contracts or their uh limited you know uh next year is, is limited to like 1.2 million 1.8 million for some of these guys um so they're they're cheap buyouts for next season um so if the kings get to the the deadline like they did last year and they see a player that that they think they can go get whether it costs them draft picks which they have seven second round picks over the next two years uh or or a first round pick which they have both of their first round picks in the next two years um, they can go out and and get somebody because they have these sort of movable pieces that maybe aren't part of the long-term picture uh but for another team they're enticing so maybe they can do another deal where they go out and get a harrison barnes type player player a player that is you know either under contract long term because that's always going to be the issue in sacramento can you get someone else to come here once players come here they they like to be in sacramento and they like to stay in sacramento but getting them to say yes has always been an issue for the kings um so trading for players is usually more advantageous and so again i i just don't think that they've tied themselves up long term to anything uh that that they can't get out of which is you know ken catanella really is good at this whole uh non-guaranteed last year of the contract thing uh he's done a remarkable job of keeping the kings flexible especially if they hit it big with some big with their young guys uh when you know you're gonna have to pay them which is coming speaking of which uh, to shift gears for just a second what do you think the chances of an extension for healed and or bogdanovich are well i think bogdanovich is difficult because uh he can only get what is it 120 percent of his salary yeah so, but four years 51 million is about what that number is yeah and i think that the kings would love it if he signed that and maybe that's what he ends up signing in the long term um because he is i mean he's 26 it's not like he's a super young kid uh yeah. but he's also to- it's not like he hasn't made 
spending any money either he's been making eight million a year already so he, he can kind of he, he might want to try to hold out for the big payday rather than just like oh i haven't made any money i have to take something you know most of the guys are in this situation are making the minimum in the first three years are like yes like i have to lock in he's already made enough where maybe he doesn't feel he has to do that yeah yeah he's uh he's got a three-year 27 that's what he's he's working on right now three-year 27 million dollar deal so it was a declining value contract so i think it's at eight and a half this year um but you also have to look that at his age he's probably not going to get two more big contracts he'll probably get one more and it's the same thing with buddy hill but i think that's where the kings are are going to have some interesting negotiations with buddy i think in a perfect world they would love to sign him to an extension right now but how much is that going to be and you did not expect the type of production you got last year so are you better seeing if uh you know i don't think his shooting is clearly not a fluke his ability to score is clearly not a fluke um but can he be a perennial 20 to 21 point per game guy um or is he going to regress and now you're looking at a 16 to 17 points per game guy uh who's more of a third scorer on a really good team uh so you have to really be sure that you know what you have there because he's going to want big money and or at least you expect him to want big money and you what you can't do is extend yourself and, and give him a $150 million deal and then have him not be what you think he could be, especially with uh, Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox coming right up behind him as far as, you know, contract extensions uh, next summer for Fox and then the summer after for Bagley. So you really have to figure out who and what he is. So I think if they could get him at a reasonable rate, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a uh, four-year, 80, 90, uh, maybe even 100. That that seems a lot for a guy who a year ago you you would never have considered even you know remotely close to 50 million on a four-year deal. So now where are you with that? And are they going to are his people going to be unreasonable? Again, you're looking at a guy who all of a sudden is 26 years old going into the season. He'll turn 27 in December. He's not going to be a big-time third contract guy. Uh, so how much are they going to want here to maximize his earnings? Um, so I would take a cautious approach. If his people are willing to work with you, uh, then I lock him up without any question. I mean, he's a a joy a joyful person to have around your team he's a, an incredible worker um he's he's hilarious uh he sort of brings levity to the room but he also has his, his teammates backs uh and then bogdanovich is really like the veteran influence on this team the last two years uh even though it was his first and second year in the league so uh, if you can get them both you lock them both up but i think bogdanovich has to wait until next summer just because you know you want to see how much he's going to be worth uh he's probably going to be worth more than that 12 million dollar mark but buddy is it's sort of a crapshoot yeah it'd be rich i mean now one thing that doesn't really factor in is they're not going to have cap space next year unless they let both healed and bogdanovich go uh, which they're not going to do so they're not really sacrificing anything by uh, agreeing to it now in terms of Casper's aspirations for next summer um on the mock rookie extension podcast that i did uh with Danny larue and dan feldman we ended up at four for 82 with uh two million per season in incentives so up to up to four for 90 so i think that would be a relatively fair range for him i mean i'm definitely a little bit lower on him than maybe some are uh based on what he did last year but i mean he also like being that level of shooter is just has a ton of value you know so that's that's uh i could see it maybe ending up around there but it seems like one of those ones that's really going to go down to the wire because it's not gonna be the max obviously um let's talk now about uh De'Aaron fox and marvin bagley because to me 
all this stuff that they did is great might help him get into the playoffs the next couple of years buddy Hill, i think you know it's probably not going to take a major step forward he'll probably be part of this nucleus but to me uh you know they're not going to be a position likely to get any more high draft picks to add to this group if you really want this team to become a at least solid west playoff team for the next x amount of years bagley and fox have got to really pop fox had a big improvement last year what's the low-hanging fruit for him as far as improving this next season man I, it's hard to imagine him not taking another big leap forward um it's it's about basketball iq and about an elite speed an elite skill which is speed um and then if you look at all the peripherals he just improved in almost every aspect of the game last season uh 17.3 points 7.3 assists uh you're putting more shooters around him and you're giving him better offensive weapons uh, than he had a year ago. And so for me, that really, you know, Iman Shumpert might have shot, uh, what he shoots, 36% from from three-point line last year, which wasn't bad for him as far as career-wise. But that doesn't mean that you guarded him, you defended him like he was a 36% shooter. Now you draw a player out, uh, you know, whether it's Barnes or Ariza at that position. So that will open lanes. You add Deadman, who, you know, 38.2%. It opens another lane for a guy like De'Aaron Fox. Um, when he was a Team USA, I know that Popovich was very hard on him about attacking the rim. Just like he said, every single play, just attack the rim. Like, I don't even want... He's like, whether yep. you pass it or you finish at the rim, I don't care. Just every single time you touch the ball, I want you sprinting at the rim. And I think that hearing that from someone else is probably going to help him, even though he has played for Jaeger and now Walton. Um, but I think he easily can take a step similar to what he took last year, which I, I don't think he's going to average... 23 points a game or anything crazy but i wouldn't be surprised if he's right around 20 and 9 uh this next season nine assists per game um you know he's already in the top what six in steals per game uh, he's he's got very strong defensive tools uh high basketball iq like i said um i would be very surprised if he wasn't in the conversation either this season or the next season for a, a spot on the all-star team as one of the better point guards in the league and and maybe that's a little too high, uh, but just watching what he does and the way he does it, uh, the second that he realizes that no one can stop him when he's at full speed is the second that he that he really could just jump up and become a star in the league. And I think he has that type of potential. Um, he just, you know, he's got to improve. He, he's got to get stronger. Uh, you know, he's got to hit the three-point shot a little bit more, um, but he needs to be a little more selfish. And I think he gets that. And to be honest with you, just in getting respect from officials, he should get up to, you know, an extra two or three free throws per game this season. So without even taking an additional shot, he can almost get to 20 points per game. And so that's where I kind of see like his improvement. It, it's right there. It's right in front of you. You can see as the players around him get better, um, as the pick and roll with Marvin Bagley gets better, you know, all of these things show me that he can take incremental steps in whether it's points or assists or or whatever it might be yeah the things that stick out to me from his statistical line i mean 
37% from three. It wasn't the highest volume in the world. You know, he took 21% of his shots from downtown. I, I wouldn't expect him to improve on that. I mean, that to me was really good because he came out with this reputation of not really being a shooter. I think he's gradually dispelling that. The other thing is 25% of his shots taken from floater range and only 36% on those. So he's either got to get to the rim more or he's got to make more of those shots. And I think, you know, he also was forced into a lot of times as the only creator on this team, mid-range jumpers late in the clock. Their half-court offense overall just was not very good. I mean, they had, like, I think they're in the mid-20s in half-court offense and, you know, number four in terms of transition. So to get to an offense that was slightly below league average, uh, they they had to run a lot, and that was a smart move. But the half-court offense has got to get a lot better. I think he's mm-hmm. part of Then, you know, the usage is not at the same level as some of these absolute star point guards. They still have between Heald and McDonavich and Barnes and Bagley. I mean, they've got a lot of mouths to feed on this team offensively. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that to go up that much to where it's like oh he's using 28 29 of the team's plays so i think it's really uh, to me a little more efficiency from the mid-range you mentioned the following he gets there at a pretty good rate already at 38 percent free throw rate uh but he's got kind of that skinny body he could work to accentuate contact even more and make make that even higher uh mm-hmm. so i think i'm not expecting him to make as big of, of a leap forward as he did last year especially because it's, i just don't think he's going to be asked to create that much like healed actually had a better a higher usage rate than fox did last year um and barnes again you know they the, it'll be interesting to see how they implement him and whether he gets any creation or he's just going to stand out there in the wing but uh so i i don't think he's going to make as big of a step forward it could be kind of a consolidation for him where just he tightens everything up he really improves his playmaking i think assists is something where uh that could go up a lot and just uh, you know improving his craft in the mid-range maybe taking a few more threes uh because nothing pops out to me is like oh yes this is the one thing that like yeah he can do so much better at but you know i think he's going to get better but i don't know if it's going to be like the same type of leap we saw where last year he went from one of the worst players in basketball to a, a guy who is you know probably a top half of the league point guard yeah yeah i mean you have to be slightly concerned about the shooting long term um what yeah. you mentioned i mean he's, like, he's stepped forward so much in that area already though i think that's very yeah. encouraging even if he stays right where he's at I, I just think by what you said like adding the floater it's something i've talked about either either get to the rim or uh get better with the floater and you, you can't do one or the other um and, and i think he's going to uh, he's going to improve there. And, you know, just by, and again, by seeing how players mature in the league, how they start getting more respect, uh, I, I just think it opens up a lot more for him uh, as he sort of climbs the ranks of, of NBA point guards. And I, I would be really surprised. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to average, you know, eight points a game or five points a game more than he did last year. Um, but, you know, it doesn't take much to see him taking a very strong steps forward and, and putting him in sort of maybe the John Wall range, but but with better three-point shooting and more focus on the defensive end. Um, and then, yeah. you know, if he can get to that point, what's next? Can he can he take another step in year four? Um, and, you know, even at that point, what, he'll be 23 uh, in year four. And that's just crazy. Yeah, and I think the biggest number I want to see go up is true shooting 54.4 percent last year get that to the 56 57 percent range i think you know you'd have to be happy with his development this year and and he turns it over a lot too that's 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 probably actually the lowest hanging fruit of just not turning it over as much um 
Bagley, what what about him? I think I, I liked the Deadman signing because of what you're talking about with his ability to space the floor. Now you can really let Bagley play the four. Many, including me, have said, you know, I think maybe his best position is the five, but, you know, could he hold up there defensively? That was the big question about him coming in. Uh, so uh, for Bagley now, if he's, I presume he's going to be the starting four, unless something goes really off the rails here. Uh, what do you expect to see from him? What's he going to be trying to improve this year? Yeah, I think he'll be a starting, the starting four without any question. I also think he'll jump up to 32, 33 minutes a game. Um, to me, uh, you keep hearing about the, the right hand, his inability to go right. And he just... yes, I, I've, I've mentioned that on occasion. Uh, Danny, Danny even started <laughs> calling him uh, Malvin Bagley. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just look at him and I and I think to myself, did anyone really care that Al Jefferson only had one hand like his whole career? He put up twenty a game every. And when Marvin Bagley elevates in the key, there's no one that can stop him. It doesn't matter who you are. It, once he's up in the air, uh, it's so quick, and he gets up so high, and he shoots at the top of his arc. Um, for me, uh, there's no way he's not going to be a twenty and ten guy throughout his career, uh, and with the potential to be a whole lot more than that on the offensive end. Um, I know he's worked on his range. It wasn't spectacular last year. He was really spotty, uh, but he averaged 1.5 three-point shots per game. I think that number will steadily Im- uh, improve. But the Kings, you know, if you look at what they had last year, which is, you know, him and Willie Cauley-Stein playing some minutes together, but he's a little bit like Willie Cauley-Stein in his extreme athleticism, except for he's really better at every aspect of the game than Willie, um, except for maybe passing, which Willie isn't a great passer, but Marvin Bagley is, you know, he's he's not Yinkadare, but he's not good. Um <laughs> He's going to have to get better there. He's, he can't be a black hole, um, which I think will come as he grows into his role. Um, but he's got a smooth jumper. Uh, he can take you off the dribble. He can shoot from the, the perimeter. Um, he can absolutely school you in the post. His advanced offensive game in the post is just, to me, just counter moves and moves on top of moves. Really? I, I That's not something that I really... Uh perceived is that a, a new addition that i mean i know people were raving about him in team usa camp he ended up not being uh on the team i think they actually might have been able to use him frankly just because they had no athleticism but uh yeah yeah that, that'd be interesting down. yeah no no i i mean he has all kinds of moves i think he's been used as a rim runner um you know at, at duke he's been he hasn't really found he hasn't been given just like unlimited supplies of shots um, I think he will get that this year. I think he'll be, uh, you know, Fox will probably be 1A, he'll be 1B, and then Heald will be 1C as far as, you know, the scoring options. And then everybody else is just going to have to kind of, you know, fend for themselves. Uh, but I, I really do like what he brings uh, to the table on, on the offensive end. Um, again, when he really, when he gets the ball, he's got to show a little bit more patience. Uh, and, and that just comes with age. But, I mean, he's 20 years old, and when he starts making his moves i mean you get to a point where you're almost sure it's going in most of the time um and and he's got a variety of little flips and he's just to me he's really crafty he's crafty in the post and i mean he walked into the league and of course he came off the bench so he's gonna have to play against bigger stronger better players and as a starter than he's he's used to um but i think he's he's gonna be a guy who uh in year three year four you're talking about one of the premier scoring bigs in the nba and um i I don't think that there is a limit to how high where I think there's a limit how high Fox 
Fox will will get as a scorer. Like, I don't think Fox is ever going to average 24, 25 points a game. I think he could, but I don't think he's selfish enough. I think Bagley is a player that could, you know, take that big leap at some point and get to the 25, 27 points per game just because he is so incredibly gifted. Yeah, he and, and John Collins, to some degree, are, are kind of similar players. I mean, I do think uh, Marvin has a little, little more juice uh, off the bounce in terms of moves, face-up jump shot. Uh, but it, as guys who are kind of four or five hybrids, what's their defensive position? But they're just, they're going to score and they're going to score efficiently. You know, I, I believe in Collins' outside shot a little bit more than Marvin's right now. But the, they they do provide some interesting issues as you're trying to build a team uh, around them. You know, that that's definitely uh, an issue. But I think, you know, getting Deadman really kind of helps with that a little bit. Uh, and, and obviously Bagley defensively has to take a little bit more of a step forward, but he won't have as much pressure on him if he's not being asked to be uh the center as much playing next to deadman you know if he if he's got to play next to holmes the fit gets a little bit tighter uh or giles uh, for that matter you know you don't uh and, and i think you know i like bagley's face-up game i think that's going to be a big thing that he can improve on offensively is can he face up and hit that jump shot enough that the guy has to get up on him so he can use that blinding first step uh going to his left so that, that'll be you know he's not it doesn't always look pretty with him to me but then you look up and it's like okay he's got all these offensive rebounds and he comes in and, and he gets some alley-oops and he's just always able to find space around the rim for passes or, or to take one dribble and score so and, and you look down at the end of the game he's like wow this guy just just put up you know 15 20 points in pretty limited minutes so i'm a, and he can do it efficiently so he definitely and i thought defensively he was better than i expected last year so he was above my expectations uh, to be for sure next year but this is going to be the year i think where we find out like all right were they crazy to take him at number two and take him uh, over Doncic, or is he going to actually be able to live up with that and be one of the two foundational players it seems like you you're of the belief that like yes this can be one of the top two players on you know, a solid playoff team eventually oh yeah yeah i i think so and the thing a couple of things. I Number one, he has to get better as a defensive rebounder. If he doesn't do that, then the Kings are completely sunk. Uh, because, of course, you know, Deadman is going to play more on the perimeter. He's not yeah, yeah he's not, big on, he's not big on the boxing out, Bagley. Yeah, he's going to have to get big on the boxing out and rebounding outside of his zone. He's just going to have to get better there. And I think he's a and, guy— And he's who, so good on the offensive end, too. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the, like, the, the quickest offensive rebounders you'll see. Well, he's got springs in his legs. It's absolutely yeah. remarkable. The way he can get off the floor twice before someone else can get off the floor once— you just say, I don't know how you did how you did that. He just bounces. I would love to watch him play volleyball. I mean, to be honest with you, it would just be nuts to watch a guy like that on the net uh, who just has springs and can get up so quickly. Um, but uh, if he doesn't get better as a defensive rebounder, they're going to have problems. And I, if he can't eventually stretch the floor, it really does limit him in modern NBA. And, and it not only limits him, it limits the Kings and who they can put around him. Right. Um, you can't just keep shopping for the next Wayne Dedman and, and hope that you keep finding that player to put next to him and, and then really limiting the development of guys like Holmes or, or, uh, Harry Giles. So I, I think one of the bigger issues the Kings have this season that Luke Walton has coming into the year is uh that if marvin is going to play as much as he you know we think he's going to play you always have to have a shooter with him and so uh that means he's going to have to steal some minutes at the five that means harrison barnes is going to have to play some four uh you know nemanja bielitsa might be the odd man out uh but maybe he's not because again he can stretch the floor so you know that means that guys like holmes and 
and Giles are they're only going to get to play with with other guys that can shoot as well. Uh, and so until either Giles can stretch it or Holmes can stretch it or or uh, Bagley figures out how to stretch it, it really does limit what the Kings can do in just the modern NBA. Uh, I like Giles and Bagley together as a high post low post tandem, um, but that really doesn't work for that many sets. You know, it, it doesn't work for that long in any game in in any run in the 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 modern NBA. So um, that's that's a concern, and he's got to get better at shooting from the perimeter. He's got to be more of a knockdown, but uh, I wouldn't want him out on the perimeter that much either. I, I want him chained to the basket because I think he's in- incredibly talented around the rim. Yeah, I mean, or he's got to be your center defensively. You know, that's the other. Then it, yeah. then the three point shot doesn't matter as much. But I, I still, I think it, he could be just an unbelievable offensive center. Maybe that's this team's destiny of where, hey, we're going to be a top ten offense. We're going to run it down your throat. Bagley is just be a matchup nightmare at center and. You know, the defense will be okay, but that's, you know, we're going to be right up there in offense and that's going to be our calling card. Maybe that's how the, this ends up. But I think for the time being, having gotten Deadman is pretty good. Um, let's do a couple of quick hitters here because I know we're running a little short on time now. Uh, Harrison Barnes, what is his role? going to be offensively with this team starting at at the three because his usage rate really dropped from his Dallas days only down to 16 percent he really wasn't that efficient on two pointers his iso game was a struggle I thought they actually could have used his iso game last year as one more creator uh one-on-one outside of uh Fox but they didn't really go to that much and he wasn't that good at it anyway so down to 16 percent usage in Sacramento do you foresee kind of a similar role for him again this year despite the big contract yeah, I mean, I don't see him. I mean, as far as I can tell, he's a fourth option on the offense um, with the starting unit. And then, yeah. you know, you bring in Bogdanovich. I think Bogdanovich and him will play substantial minutes together. Uh, I think they'll bounce. Uh, they'll bounce Barnes back and forth between the three and the four throughout the year. Uh, again, you got a lot of mouths to feed, whether it's Arizo or Bogdanovich at the three. Um, that's really one of my biggest things is just trying to figure out how Luke Walton's going to manage the minutes, who's going to lose out. You know, for, it's either Bielitsa or Ariza. I don't think both of them can play uh, together throughout the season. Um, you know, I just don't think they're quick enough together. I don't, you know, and neither one of them are going to start. Uh, and you need those minutes. It's for either Bagley at the four, you need for Barnes and McDonovich at the three. So it's really, it's going to be complicated for Walton and the way that he has to work his rotations here. Um, But I think Barnes just brings such a solid, solid NBA player. And I know a lot of people are saying, ah, you know, they paid him so much money. And it's like, well, you know what? If you can tie up a position that you know you're going to get, even if it's league average and you're going to get strong defensive play and he can ISO some, he can also hit the three ball. Um, he's not calling for his shot all the time. Um, I, I really do think that he's a nice fit for the team, especially with his contract declining. I think it's only like 18.5 million in the final year. Uh, and it works out something like 14% of the cap or something in his final year. Um, and he'll still only be like 30, 31 years old. So I think he's going to see maybe a little uptick in, uh, in his usage over what we saw last year, especially if they can use him as a post threat when Bagley goes to the bench. Um, I kind of like that idea. Uh, although that really does limit who's going to play alongside him. Um, but I think he's still going to be a valuable piece to this team and his, you know, sort of professionalism and veteran leadership behind the scenes. I think it's something that appeals to the Kings as well. Yeah, it's really just 
Barnes never had higher than 18% usage, and that was as a rookie in his four years in Golden State. Then he goes to Dallas, 25% usage the two years after that. I mean, that's one of the highest one-season increases in usage you're ever going to see, 8%. I mean, people players do not change that that much and then uh was still at 24 percent in dallas last year and then comes to sacramento he's immediately 16 percent. so it really seems like he's going to just be put back into that same role that he had in golden state as a spot-up shooter transition guy maybe an occasional mismatch attacker offensively but i mean he also has really struggled with efficiency in his career but was that 40 percent as a three-point shooter with the kings and uh, was that a career high in terms of his true shooting so i think if you can get that that level of play out of him you know i think maybe people were disappointed in what he what he did as a king but i think yeah just having someone who's okay on defense you know is people's eyes don't light up when, it, when you see him i think he's might be a little better defending fours but he's you know reasonable at defending some threes and he gives them some size there which they didn't have and then could play some small ball four can fit into different lineups and can shoot you know yeah again another one where it's an overpay but i think he's still gonna be an important part of, of what they're doing um and then I assume Ariza will back him up. It seems like Ariza and Bielito will kind of be competing for backup four minutes and maybe a little bit of backup three for Ariza as well. But I mean, they, they've got a lot of guys here. I mean, this is, they go probably 11 deep. They've got solid backups at every position and guys who are used to playing alongside the starters as well. Probably in many of those cases, you know, Bielita started for a lot of last year as well, and rightfully so because they needed his shooting. So I'm uh, I'm interested to see if there starts to be like a little bit of carping about lack of minutes with this team. Is that a concern? Yeah, I, I would think it would be a concern. Um, you know, I, it, Trevor Ariza played 34 yeah. minutes a game last year. Yeah, I mean, now these guys, Ariza and Joseph, for example, and Joseph, you know, is probably not that type of guy. Anyway, like, these guys signed here knowing what the deal was. I mean, but, well, you hope that, so, but that, that's George, never stopped people from complaining before. Yeah, George Hill signed knowing what the deal was too, and then you know, two weeks into the season, didn't want to want to do it anymore. So, I, I mean, you hope that they that they understand what it is, and you know, the other thing you hope is that winning is what motivates and not minutes and all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, I mean, or, it's, or maybe you just trade one of those guys too. I mean, you get the second rounder for Bielitsa or Risa at, yeah, at some point. Yeah. No, I mean. I think that that's what I mean. At some point, there could be a move where the Kings can can use those guys as trade pieces, whether it's Bielito or Ariza. You stack those guys together, you're looking, you know, twenty million dollars in contract. You can go out and get a pretty nice player if you throw in some draft picks uh, for expiring contracts. So, uh, you know, as those guys as expiring contracts, if you need to, um, but I don't know that you need to. We'll, we'll see how this season plays out. All right, uh, big strengths uh, for this group. Depth. I think yep. that's the biggest thing. Depth, um, you know. Yeah, any we haven't hit on before. I mean, I think mean, we talked depth. We talked to transition yeah. game. Um, I'll say this too. The, the three-point game, you know, Luke yep. Walton's team last season uh, finished just ahead of the Kings in pace. So it was fourth and fifth in the league. Uh, the Lakers were fourth. The, the Kings were fifth. The Lakers shot 91 more three-pointers than the Kings last season. The Kings hit 80 more. Uh, so if the Kings are a very, very good three-point shooting team, they have been for the last, I think, four yeah. years. It, it, and so I think just getting that volume up is going to be a big, a big component this year. Yeah. And if you look at, if you look at the players they added, you added Deadman who can knock it down. You're going to see improvements from Bagley. I guarantee it. Uh, you get additional three-point shots from Ariza and from, uh, and from Barnes being there. Yeah. You know, and, and these guys time. come out of systems too, where where they're used to just bombing it. You know, Ariza, Deadman, like they're just told in Atlanta and, and Ariza 
in his Houston days, like just fire it up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely why I think Luke Walton was the right guy. And you give Luke Walton better tools than maybe what he had last season in, in L.A. While they don't have LeBron, uh, they do have tools that fit a system that could, you know, be advantageous for him in his offensive scheme. And if this team is flying up and down the court like they did last year, if they can still shoot 30, what was it, 37.8% from three, uh, you're going to see their their number go up. I think they're just under 33 point makes uh, three point attempts per game last last season. But if you can get that up to 34, 35, uh, you're going to see this team really be difficult to manage. Uh, you know, as far as their offensive output, and and then on top of that, they've got you know a guy like Marvin Bagley that can do a ton of damage in the post. A guy like Harry Giles that's very crafty in the post, a versatile scorer off the bench like Bogdanovich who can do a lot of things. Um, yeah, I, I like it because a lot of their players are coming into that age where their their shot uh, their shot patterns go from looking like a shotgun spray to you know really nice compact guys that shoot at the rim, guys that shoot in the corner, guys that shoot the elbow. Uh, their hot spots on the floor, you know, year three, year four of a player, they start to find those things. I think that's another advantage to this team. They're young, but they're hitting that age where you can't keep saying they're young, and they they start to know who they are and start to refine who they are as basketball players. Yeah, I mean, guys like Heald and Bogdanovich, I mean, those are, you know, 27-year-old guys. Like those are those are vets. I mean, it's really Fox and Bagley and Giles are really the only three guys that you're looking at as like, you know, big upside guys, you know, going forward here. But yeah, I mean, I love the depth. I love how they're going to be able to continue to come at you in waves uh, with uh, that running game. Um Luke, you mentioned Luke Walton's system. Are we going to see, like, what do you think is going to be some of the staple stuff that, that he's running? I mean, you know, he likes, you know, he comes from that Warriors style. He's tried to implement stuff with the Lakers where there's more of a, a passing game, not as much just straight up pick and roll, but that's probably Fox's uh, number one uh no, number one option and they don't have a ton of passing on this team you know i think giles is a good high post passer but you don't really look at anyone else their bielitsa is probably not going to play that much barnes and ariza aren't really passers but donovich is a good passer he's a I'm good creator but donovich yeah. is a good creator yeah 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 he yeah. Was, I, I was gonna get to him but yeah between fox joseph Bogdanovich, but they, they they don't have just like that kind of team-wide passing it seems like more of a team's like okay some guys are going to create and then some guys are going to finish the plays but but that's not the system that walton is generally preferred uh in his time yeah i think it's going to be wide open i think they're going to still do the same things that they did last year as far as running um and, and i think you're just going to refine the process again like it, this isn't a knock on dave yeager I, I i think what dave yeager did last year was was absolutely brilliant but you took a guy who is really good out of a timeout who's really good at the end of quarters and halves who who manages the game pretty well um but who's always been known as a slow down grit and grind guy and he just unleashes this young team like flying all over the court now you take a guy in luke walton who this is his style so let me let me take this uh this sort of loose look of what this team could be last year and let me give it a little bit more refining and it might not happen in you know year one it might not happen in the first 30 40 games of the season especially when you consider the india trip which is going to eat so much of their their preseason is nuts uh yeah especially for a team that's reliant on really having energy and pushing the ball that's that could be a problem for them yeah yeah i think that will be a problem i I don't know how 
how it's going to play out, but uh, you already have Corey Joseph, Harrison Barnes, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Nemanja Bialica, who just spent the last couple of months playing for their, their countries in the FIBA World Cup. Uh, you had De'Aaron Fox, who, you know, put in two weeks, but that's not a concern. Um, but it's just the miles that they're putting on this on the bodies of these players. The Kings have the third highest miles traveled during the regular season. It's like 50,000 miles on the season. Um, and then you add in a 17,000 mile trip uh, to India round trip. And, and it's just uh, that it's going to, it's going to take some toll, which I think is possibly why they have so many bodies that they're going to play with early on. But there's going to come a point where Walton, Walton needs to find nine or 10 guys and just sit with that and let them gel together and play as much together they'll get time to bond as a team you know with the india trip but they're going to need time to bond on the court and it's going to be very limited three days of training camp six days in india and then right into the preseason it's going to be really wild yeah i'm interested to see for luke walton's system i think he could get some dial up some nice sets for buddy healed uh mm-hmm. in in you know with that golden state background that they they could do some stuff like that um and i think he's going to try and develop some of that passing from a, a bagley um and uh and giles uh all right let's do a predicted record here i will go first this time and defensively i think you know maybe we didn't talk about that enough with these guys but i think they can actually be like pretty good defensively like fox is above average you know, healed. Eh, I, I mean, he tries, but it, 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 he's got athletic limitations. He's not gonna. He's not gonna help you that much there. Barnes to me is kind of average uh, on the wing. Bagley. Uh, you know, I'd probably put him as below average. Deadman, I think, is going to really help them. He's the best defensive center they've had in some time. Uh, you would have to say mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah i mean they have an interesting mix of, of uh, and then uh, joseph is really good bogdanovich or i mean i think the second unit could actually be really good defensively on the on the perimeter as well depending on how much those guys play and how much they all play together so i you know i think i don't think this this team has like a ton of upside defensively but i think they could be you know kind of right around league average maybe take a little bit of a step forward from last year when i still kind of seem like they're doing it with smoke and mirrors now i think they actually have some pretty decent personnel if not unbelievable personnel defensively yeah i mean defensively they're so much better than than they have been in the past and i think the other thing is you have multi-positional players which yeah uh, you know last yeah they year, can switch more like you were saying which i think is really going to help yeah i mean last year when you come in with a six foot five starting small forward and a six foot eight but like 180 pound uh backup at the small forward position you're just getting dominated by it and you know while i love costa kufis he's an old school you know uh, old school throwback big body center uh, where now you have a lot more range at that position guys that can go play the perimeter you got a lot of switchability uh, you got you know Barnes moving back and forth between the three and the four Ariza being able to move uh, you know again Bogdanovich being able to move all over the whole court uh, both of your your starting and your backup point guards can play the one the two uh, I just think that it, it does lend itself to a lot a, a lot more fluid flow on the defensive end and also i they had no shot blocker at all last year you know to to take out a guy who averages like 0.5.6 blocks per game and willie Colley Stein just refuses to even swat at the ball at, at the end of his run in sacramento uh and you put you know three or four guys back there in bagley and and deadman and holmes and giles that all aren't afraid to go at the rim and block people and, and play goalie and give a hard foul i, I think that that's that's a huge thing on the defensive end too so it will help guys like Bogdanovich and 
and Heald, who might not be the quickest lateral players. Uh, and and then again, like putting good defensive players around those guys is going to help everybody. So uh, I think they're going to be a lot better defensively than they were last year. Yeah, and last year I think they're like 17th or 18th, uh, something in that range. I, I'm uh, yeah, I mean I could see them getting up to like you know just 14th. I mean they don't have like any awesome defensive players. I mean and they do have some guys who aren't that good. Uh, I guess Joseph is, but he's a point guard, so he's not going to be a huge huge difference maker. And they have a couple of guys in the starting lineup in terms of Heald and Bagley that I'm not enormous fans of. Um, you know I like I like their bench defense a, a lot more. Barnes, like I was saying on, on the wing, is probably average at best, and he's not really a playmaker either. It's it's just this is a such a hard team to get a feel for because you have Fox and Bagley. How much are they going to improve? I mean, they're kind of you've got this pretty solid team around those guys in terms of, of role players and so a lot of it is how are they going to improve and Bagley to me you know you, you could say hey Harrison Barnes at the four and either Bogdanovich or Ariza at the three uh you know is Bagley even if he puts up the numbers he's ready to be a winning player yet uh, on both ends uh that, that's a big question is he is he going to continue to show potential and he's got a lot of that but also is he really going to make winning plays this year outside of points and rebounds uh, that's still a concern to me as well and he's obviously going to be featured you know i think this team is not going to have his development take a back seat to winning a few more games in the regular season it seems like that's part of what it seemed like jaeger got in hot water for and, and walton is there for the long term so I, I i'm i think that that there'll be times when it might have just looked better if you had harrison barnes at the four instead of bagley other times bagley is going to look really dominant i i think and when you look at how well they played with fox on the floor last year they're not going to suck as bad without him on there they don't have any rotation spots where they're just putting out non-nba players mm-hmm. so i think i'm gonna go with 43 wins for this group ultimately i'm uh i mean certainly have some trepidation it's the kings they took a major leap forward there could be some regression there but they also filled in a, a lot of their holes and so and they have a lot of guys on this team i think are really solid players i just i can't go much above the 43 just because i'm not sure that they have like that high-end superstar level player yet boxer bagley might become that someday but i can't bet on that happening quite yet yeah i was so far off last season i think i, I oh we both were i mean i, I had like 24 him. wins last yeah, I think year I and then i lowered 26. it to 23 after jaeger played four power forwards at once in the preseason <laughs> Because I didn't, I didn't think he was going to play be at least at the four. And then it, it, he actually started doing that. I was like, oh yeah, this actually this looks a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I you know the year before I pegged their win total exactly. I, I guessed twenty seven. I was spot on. Um, last year, I think I think I said twenty six. It may have been twenty five. Um, uh, you said twenty six. I have it right here. Twenty six. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm actually. I think the Kings left at least four wins on the table at the end of last season where I uh, the fatigue yeah. and the well, well they would have been 40 and 42 if they hadn't just rested their guys in the last the second half of that crazy game in Portland, in Portland. that I'll, I'll be talking about for 10 years yeah I was I was at that game it was wild and then the the fallout the next well late that night and then the early next morning was even crazier um so I, I'm gonna peg them at I'm gonna say 45 with the potential for more okay and I, I think i think i'm gonna lower mine to 42 i'm just gonna be a little more conservative because i, I realized too that like fox and Heald basically played like the whole season last year like they, they had very few injuries last year. i know bagley missed about 20 games with uh it was a, a hand injury if i recall no but, no uh, two knee injuries for bagley yeah oh that's right that's right yeah yeah two yeah, left sorry. knee injuries um different knee injuries and, and you know giles missed i don't know uh 24 games uh deadman is a guy well and i've been hard on deadman for missing games 
games, but in all honesty, I think the the Hawks sat him for the last ten games of last season, so he's probably more like a seventy game guy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he, he's but not going to play more than like twenty five minutes a game, though. I think he's a little kind of that, that's about his limited kind of. No, he's going to split. He's going to split with Giles, or he's going to split with Holmes. Uh, just depends on who wins that battle. Yeah. Uh, and then I think Bogdanovich will play eighteen. I mean, twenty eight to thirty minutes a game, uh, ranging between the two and the three. Uh, he did miss ten games to start last season, but he only missed one other game the rest of the year. Um, so yeah, I, I think that yeah. you Barnes never hurt. gets hurt. Barnes never gets hurt. Buddy Heald keeps himself in, in incredible shape, and he just runs and runs and runs. And I think uh, even De'Aaron Fox missed one game last year. He he was a healthy scratch. They sat him because they were worried about load management with him and the toll that they thought that the pace was playing on him. Um, he easily could have played 82 games. So uh, I, I think that they're going to be strong. And I'm not worried about the West. You Everyone's got to play the West. Uh, they'll eat each other alive. I think some teams did not get better, even though the talk is how much better they got. Um, I think there are plenty of teams that took major steps back in the Western Conference um, and that the Kings can surpass. And so I think 45 with the potential to go maybe as high as 47. Um, I don't see like a 50 or anything like that, but I think they'll they'll be in the fight for uh, the six, seven, eight spot. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that I put them maybe a little bit below some of these teams, and, and it's their bad luck, of course, to, to be in the West now that they finally did get a decent, that, you know, it's still this huge. Uh, this huge number required to get into the playoffs in the West, most likely. So, yeah, I'm going to lower it to 42 just because I still, uh, I, I've just got a few too many concerns. I just can't quite get onto the top end talent with this being a, a 45 win team. But I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they got to 45. Best case scenario for these guys, I, I would put it maybe in like the 48 win range. Yeah, uh, for me. Yeah, I, 47, 48. I, I think that's best case. I mean, I don't, I don't think that that they can hit the fifty, but you never know. Maybe they catch lightning in a bottle, um, and they're able to refine their speed game, hit you know threes like the Houston Rockets, and 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 just really do some amazing things. Uh, so I mean, I'm I'm never going to say never, but like I think that's the high end, 47, 48. Yeah, I, I and then low end, I think I'd probably go in like you know thirty six wins. They really, it's funny actually when you have a lot of depth like this i think that lowers your variability and you know again i mean if fox becomes an all-star level of point guard maybe maybe that it's uh it's a little higher because they do kind of have a these this good bench too uh, but i'm uh you know, i still uh, i think if they're you know if, if fox misses 15 games you know they, they might struggle to compete in those games maybe bagley just can't take a step forward and he's still kind of a, a negative player when it really impacts winning so that that's how i would get to to that 36 but that's a pretty small range between 36 and and, and 48 ultimately um, yeah yeah if i was going to give a low i, I would say 38 39 and, and that okay. would for me that wouldn't even be i don't think the injury issue is going to be there i think they're you know they're young players are durable players for the most part um i think the biggest issue is just how quickly can they take to luke walton's offense how is is he a guy that galvanizes his team and takes him to the next level or is he just a guy and to me that's it's a huge question and um and and maybe i'm being slightly unfair because we haven't spent that much time with luke walton like we normally get with with other nba coaches because of his off the court stuff um but i always have like a variance that i build into a king season can they avoid the drama uh so you know when demarco's here like hey i think they could win 44 games but if they don't avoid the drama i think they'll win 27 or 28 um and that's when you get these gigantic variances and what some what team can do plus or minus uh, i just don't see any drama with this team i, I think they're gonna yeah, come out they got 
a lot of high character guys with this group now. Yeah, it, it was the best locker room I've ever been around in Sacramento. And I'll even say this. You take the, the Warriors and the Kings roster uh, and you put them side by side. I, the Kings will not have the injury issues that some of the Warriors have had historically. Um, and then the bench, you overlay the bench, and you can see how their bench has no match for the Kings bench. It's not even remotely close. Yeah, uh, don't get me started on that. Yeah, and then you're counting on guys like D'Lo, and you're counting on guys like Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, which the Kings know Willie Cauley-Stein, and they improved their center position when Dwayne Dedman. Um, and, I, and I think that tells you a lot. And then on top of that, when you look at uh, you know, D'Lo, does he fit? You know, Can he work with that? I, I mean, I think like that's what I mean. Like, I don't think the West is as near, nearly as daunting as a lot of people play it up to be. And it might be. Uh, it might just be everyone winning 50 games and then a bunch of teams winning 25 um, but I also think there's possibility that the Kings are one of those teams that are on the rise and some other teams are on the on the downswing yeah I mean I, I haven't really wrapped my head around the Warriors that I still want to do that their preview but yeah I'm uh I'm a little lower on the Warriors I think that, than a lot of people are this year it wouldn't it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that the Kings could win more games than the Warriors this year it really would that would not completely shock me at all uh which would be uh that'd be pretty remarkable for our us uh northern californians all right well uh i think uh, we can get you out of here thanks so much uh, for spending the time uh, where can people follow your king's coverage throughout the season uh you can find me on twitter at james underscore ham nbcs i think that's it uh you can find me at nbc sports you can find me at nbc under the king's uh handle i do pre and post game shows um with jim cozumore and doug christie and jerry reynolds uh it should be a fun season of king's basketball up in sacramento uh and if you're up in sac and you get to take in the beautiful golden one center um drop by and see me on the set that's where i sit during games i hang out and i have my little perch up there and i watch the games from from the set all right well thanks again i appreciate it you doing this uh, every year and uh, i'm sure i'll be up in sack a couple games uh, this year so we can uh we can hang out a little bit uh, looking forward to that thanks again yeah